table. We'll, we saved a seat for you, and we'll continue saving a seat for you every week. I feel like I stopped kind of like a half applause, like some people were going for it, and some people were just kind of chilling. Hey, uh, if we have not had a chance to meet, my name is Isaac, and I have the privilege of serving on the young adult team here at First Orlando. So uh, if you know something about me, which probably you, a lot of you don't know, is that I come from a very a large family, like very, very large family. Not my immediate family. My immediate family growing up, uh, there was only four of us, uh, me, my sister, my mom, and my dad. Uh, my sister got married, uh, now brother-in-law, and now has an all my adorable nephew, who is almost two, and me being the baby of the family my entire life, now I'm in this really weird spot where I feel like I'm having to compete for attention uh, with an almost two-year-old. It's kind of, I'm, I'm working through that. But, uh, <laughs> so even though my immediate family is small, my dad was actually one of 11, one of 11. He, it, my dad was number eight out of 11. So as you can tell, I have a very large extended family, right? So we would get together, or we'd still get together, and throw the, this most amazing, epic Christmas parties every single year, right? Because we have family that lives out of town, so Christmas time is the one time out of the year where everybody comes in. So as you can imagine, 11, um, so now I have like almost 20 aunts and uncles, and I have plus almost 30 uh, first cousins on one side. Plus, I'm one of the youngest, so all of my cousins now have kids. Um, one of my cousin's kids, I think, is graduating high school this year, right? So it probably won't be long before we continue just adding these people. There are over 100 people on one side of my family. It's probably like 117. That is a lot of people. So we have so many people coming together. So whenever we talk about, like, family gatherings, these aren't, these aren't your average family gatherings. These are epic parties. Like, we go hard. We go hard in the paint. Like, we have awesome food. We have good drink. We have, like, these really fun, like, skits that we kind of do to have fun together. We play games. So I'm from the Houston area. It doesn't snow in Houston. One year, it snowed, and we had a snowball fight. One year, we had an ice skating rink. One year, we had a hayride, right? One year, we had a Ferris wheel. One year, we had Bruno Mars come in. I'm just kidding. I didn't... <laughs> That didn't happen. But we have the most amazing, the most epic Christmas parties that are so fun. And I think one of my favorite things is because right before we eat, um, you know, most of us um, are, are believers. So right before we eat, uh, we huddle up. We huddle up to pray. And uh, one of my uncles, he leads us in this prayer time. But right before he leads us in prayer time, he, there's always people joining our epic family Christmas parties, right? So he always asks, hey, who are the guests with us this year? Who is joining us this year? And people will go around and people bring, invite their friends. And my family is awesome because, like, we're very hospitable and get to constantly invite people in. So even though there's 100, I mean, there could easily be 150 people there with all the guests in the room. And it is my favorite part, just getting to celebrate with them at this epic party and inviting people in. It's so, so cool. And then once you come, you're in. Like, there's no uninvite. Once you get invited, there's no uninvite. Like, you're, you're almost expected to continue coming every year. So then, you know, it gets around, like, November, right after, you know, Black Friday. The Christmas season starts ramping up. You've already been listening to Christmas songs for two weeks now at this point, right? 
Uh, so as we're, as we're waiting, then we'll tell each other, or we'll ask each other, don't miss the party, right? Don't miss the party. Hey, so right there where you're sitting, go ahead and turn to your neighbor, give him a fist bump and tell him, don't miss the party. Don't miss the party. Turn to your other neighbor. Don't, you, didn't forget, you didn't forget about them. And tell them, hey, you can come too. You can come too. Don't miss the party. Because here's the thing. We need a party more. We need a party more, right? I don't, think, I don't think we party enough. We need more parties in our life, right? And you're thinking now, did I just come to a church service and the preacher man just said I need to party more? Yes, that just happened. You need to party more, right? But, there, of course there was a but, but we need a party about the right things, right? I'm not talking about like getting hung over and waking up next to strangers. I'm not, that's not the party that I'm talking about, right? So the question we're looking at today is what do we party about? What are we celebrating, right? What are the things? How do we party the right way? And we're going to look at the person who was the best partier of all time, who celebrated the best way possible, right? Maybe you've heard of him, this guy named Jesus, right? We're in this series called Kingdom Culture, and what we said last week was that Jesus came to establish his kingdom here on earth, that Jesus is the king of the kingdom, and he came to establish his kingdom here on earth and establish this culture, right, this rhythm and how he lives his life and how he's, he's inviting us to live his life along with him. So he's saying that, hey, the rhythm, the rhythm of Jesus is that he lives in community. This is what Doug talked about last week, right, that Jesus, the rhythm, he lived in community. Jesus also lived with compassion, right? He had compassion on those around him, right? Both of the disciples, the feeding of the 5,000, right? The blind man. Jesus had compassion on everyone. And Jesus celebrated the Father and celebrated the Father's goodness and celebrated the Father's greatness. So as we're talking through kingdom culture, right, we're talking about this rhythm, right, this rhythm, this beat, this natural rhythm of the way that Jesus lived his life in community, compassion, and celebration. So for today, though, we are focusing on celebration. We're focusing on partying like Jesus. Can we talk about that? Is that okay? Can we talk about how to party like Jesus? And I think there's a really good story um, that we can look at that's going to kind of teach us and inform us on how, how to celebrate the way that Jesus celebrated, right? And this story, uh, it's a parable. So a parable, is, it's a fictional story, but it's an illustration or an extended metaphor to, to kind of bring a point or raise awareness or to inform us on something, on how to change our worldview and kind of the, the lens in which we can view the world. And in this particular story, Jesus is saying, I want to tell you about my daddy, I want to tell you about my father. I want to tell you the heart of my father. And he tells us this parable, this illustration that really helps us understand the heart of the father, right? And this parable, it's, it's arguably the famous one. Like if you grew up in church, you've heard of it. Maybe you just went to church once, you've heard of it. Maybe you accidentally drove by a church one time, you still have heard of it, right? Uh, it's the longest parable. Shakespeare, he mentions it like three times in his plays. Uh, Rembrandt, he painted a painting on it. Parable of the prodigal son or the lost son. So we're talking about the prodigal son and the purpose of the story is Jesus saying, I want to tell you about my daddy. 
I want to tell you about the heart of my daddy. I want to tell you how, the, how my dad, how, how he treats prodigals. Cool? Can we jump in? Let's jump in. So if you have your Bibles or your apps or it's on the screens, um, let's turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. All right, and we're going to jump in. We'll start in verse 11. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. There was a man who had two sons. So obviously, if you have sons and you're a man, that means you're a father. And when I say that, I know for some of us in this room, it's going to create a lot of reactions that are kind of all over the board, right? Whenever we talk about the idea of being a father or of a father, it's going to create these wide array of emotions. Because for some of us, the idea of a dad is super positive, right? We love our dad. We had such a good experience with our dad. He was so caring and loving, right? He was taking us to Little League games. He was taking us to dance recitals, throwing us in the pool, helping us build an engineer, like, forts, blanket forts, right? Dad was awesome, right? And even as an adult, the first time you have car trouble, who are you calling, right? You're calling dad, right? So for some of us, dad is a very positive experience. Unfortunately, that may not even be a majority of us in this room because for some of us, the idea of dad or the idea of father creates negative emotions, right? Creates negative emotions, right? Because perhaps dad was abusive, violent, Greedy, stingy. He was really controlling, put a lot of rules on you, negligent, selfish, irresponsible, domineering. For some of us in this room, dad does not convey something positive. It's something very negative. I was talking with a friend, a female friend of mine, and she, before she became a believer, she didn't have a good relationship with her dad. And honestly, that was one of the barriers that was keeping her from Christianity because she knew that Christians often talk about God as our father, and that didn't sit well with her because she couldn't really resonate because she had such a bad relationship with her dad. And if God the father was anything like her dad, she wanted nothing to do with him, right? Or for some of us in this room, it creates a sense of longing. Like, you wish you had a dad, but you've always wanted a father. Like, perhaps mom was like superstar MVP in your life, but dad wasn't really in the picture. So talking about the idea of a father brings out a lot of longing um, in our life. I want us to explore our heavenly father, right? Our earthly father creates a lot of emotions that are kind of all over the map. I want us to talk about our heavenly father, our spiritual father. Right? And in the story, we, uh, we're going to see that this dad, he was, he was a good businessman. Right? He, had, he had a lot of money. He had a lot of wealth. He had a lot of land, a lot of resources. And with his resources, he provided for his family. He left an inheritance, as we're going to read. He left an inheritance for, for his kids. All right? And that's what good dads do. That's what men do, is they provide for others around them. They create stability. They create order. They provide structure for the families. Like, dudes, is that the type of men that we want to be? Yeah. Like, ladies, is that the type of guy that's marriage material? I, I, think, I think so. I think so. So, uh, jumping in, verse 12. So let's see the response to this good dad. So there was a dad that had two sons. Verse 12. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there, he squandered his property in reckless living. So I want us to notice this. It's in your handout. 
notice the younger son's rebellion. Notice the younger son's rebellion, right? Because the younger son, he responded very rebelliously, right? Homeboy was an idiot. He was so dumb, lived so recklessly, right? Other parts of scripture would call him foolish and stupid, right? Maybe, maybe you know that guy. Maybe he like looks really good, like very chiseled, 6'2", you know, has, has a good build, maybe about 240. You know, he, he, he's very uh, physically mature, but very emotionally and spiritually immature. Do you know that guy? Uh, he, he can bench press 225, right? He doesn't have a job still living at home, doesn't read his Bible, like he doesn't, maybe says he's a Christian, but his life doesn't say that he is. Actually, he does know one verse. He knows the athlete verse, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right as he's getting that last rep, right? That's the only verse he knows. It's uh, painted on his locker room in football. So, so this guy, he wanted possessions over the person. First, he wanted possessions over the person. He essentially wished that his dad was dead. You guys know how inheritance works? You don't get it until people pass away, right? So he has a couple options here. He's like, well, I can't get the stuff of my dad until my dad is no longer here. So I have two options. Murder, probably not the great option, or let me just uh, withdraw, take out of my 401k without any withdrawal penalties. And that, that's the option that I'll have. I want the possessions over the person. I want the stuff that my dad will give me more than a relationship with my dad, right? And he wanted his inheritance now. He wanted it now, and he demanded it now. He knew it was coming to him, but things weren't happening quickly enough. So he had to get it, he had to get it now. <sighs> Do we not do the same thing? God, I know it's coming to me. Like, I know a relationship is coming. Come on, let's go. I want it now. Hey, God, like, I know this job is coming. Give it to me now. My timing is better than your timing. I don't, I don't care whenever you want to give me stuff. Let me go ahead and tell you when I want it, and you give it to me now, right? We're like, uh, we're like Veruca Salt in Willy Wonka. Like, I want the world. I want the whole world. I want it now, right? That's, that, was the, that was the rebellious son. That is us, right? And we can get ourselves into a lot of trouble when we demand what we think the Father might give us on our time. Might I submit to you that the reason is because we're not ready? Perhaps the reason that we're not getting what we think we deserve is because we're not ready, right? Because maybe, maybe we have to be careful what we wish for, Right? We have to be careful what we wish for because look what happens. Like, it's perhaps like, I want Mr. Right. And then you get with Mr. Right, he turns out to be Mr. Wrong. Right? Or you get that dream job that turns out to be a nightmare. Or uh, th that payment, like for that car, for that house, and it like really messes you up financially. Maybe the things that you think that you demand right now, the reason you're not getting it quite yet is because it's going to wreck your life and you have no idea. Maybe. It's possible. Right? But... But sometimes, sometimes God gives it to us anyway. <laughs> sometimes he does. And that's whenever we get ourselves into a lot of trouble. And this is exactly what this younger son does. Is God was like, okay. The dad was like, okay, like you want it now? Okay, here you go. Here, here's your inheritance. Like, I, I, I love you. I don't think this is best, but, but have fun. This is, this is what you want. All right. So what does he do? 
He treats himself, does he not, right? He gets it and he, 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 he spends the money. Like he's flying into Vegas. He gets a, a Gulfstream G650, right? He's flying into Vegas. Like he gets a black car limo to pick him up, tinted windows, champagne, popping bottles in the car. He's driving down the strip on uh, Las Vegas Boulevard, right? He wants to stick his hat out of the window, but he wants to be classy like he's been here before, so he restrains, right? So he goes back in the car, right? So he, he's blowing his money, right? New clothes, new cars, like prostitutes, strip clubs, penthouse apartment. Homeboy is thinking that he is having a good time. He is spending lots and lots of money. And here's the thing about living outside of the Father. It's pleasurable for a season. Right? Living outside of the Father, living away from home is pleasurable for a season. He is having a lot of pleasure right now. He's having a good time right now. But it's a season. And when that season ends, it's no longer fun. It's no longer pleasurable. Right? Sin is pleasurable for a season. So I don't, I don't know. I know not all of us in this room have finance degrees, um, but you don't need a finance degree to understand this concept. If you spend money without making money, eventually you run out of money. Right? I think, no, I think all of us in this room have felt that. Have we not? <laughs> you spend money without making money. So, uh, that's what happened. So let's look at verse 14. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. Verse 16. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Sin is pleasurable for a season. That season has ended, and now... He's in a really bad spot. No more money. No more stuff. And for the first time in his life, he has to get a job. He has to provide for himself. And the only job that he can find is on a pig farm, on a Gentile pig farm, right? Homeboy is Jewish. Jewish and pigs do not get along at all, right? That is literally, literally the worst job, the lowest job, the most despicable job that he could have had. And that's the only job that he could find. He's super hungry. He has nothing to eat. And then he starts looking at the pig food and considering if he should eat that. Nobody's helping him out. Nobody is giving him anything. He has hit rock bottom. Right? He's hungry, he's dirty, and he's homeless. And if we might insert ourselves into the story, some of us are so stubborn and so rebellious that God will allow us to get to that spot that we promised we would never get to. Right? Some of you, like, some of you, like, you think some of the things that you've done, like, oh my gosh, this is so embarrassing. This is so humiliating. I have so much shame. I was living at home growing up. I thought I would never get there. I would never do that. And here I am. I'm there. And I'm doing that. And just the thought about it brings us so much humiliation and shame and embarrassment. And sometimes God allows that for that, for that to happen to get our attention. He allows us to go to the place that we said we would never go, do the things that we said we would never do, and he uses that to get our attention. He doesn't lead us there. God is not orchestrating that. But he uses the decisions that we make when we bottom out to get our attention because he's trying to tell us something, right? 
And that's where we see this younger son. All right? So then he has this realization, verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So when he's in his lowest of lows, when he has bottomed out, when he is at rock bottom, it cannot get worse. That's when God gets, him, gets his attention and he has this realization, oh, I can go home. Simple, I can go home. But my oh, dad's gonna be so mad at me. Like, this isn't good. Uh, maybe, he, okay, so my dad's a business owner. He has people that work for him. Maybe I could just go as one of his workers. Maybe I can get a job in the mill room or get a job like as a, just some, some type of job just so I can just at least be, be eating, not pig slop. Let, let me just, maybe my dad will hire me like minimum wage or even, even worse than that. He has this realization. Maybe, <laughs> and this is basically what he's saying, is maybe if I promise to do good things, my dad will have me back, right? My dad will have me back. Maybe if I, if, if I read my Bible every day, God won't be mad at me, right? If, if I pray for 15 minutes a day, God won't be mad at me anymore, right? Maybe, maybe if, I, if I go to church every week, God won't be mad at me anymore for the things that I've done, right? That's, that's the same idea that he's giving here, right? Maybe if I can, I can just go back to be a slave, then, then my dad won't be mad at me. And then he starts, uh, he starts practicing the speech. Have you ever, have you ever uh, been out past curfew? You know your parents are going to be pissed, so you go ahead and start practicing the speech on what you might say for them to be less upset. So he practices his speech. He says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. That's the speech. All right, so uh, at, my, at my previous church, I was part of the, the connections team. Um, so I, I processed a lot of the, like the connection cards and kind of stuff that people filled out. And you could always tell the people that, um, that probably thought that God was mad at them because they, uh, for involvement, so like I want to be baptized, I want to give my life to Jesus again, I want to, um, you know, I want to serve, I want to, you know, literally every checkbox, they would check all of them. <laughs> Right? Even, like, I'm married and single. I don't know how that works. But they, they, they checked. They checked every single box. Right? And to me, I think that's the idea that the prodigal had. It was like, I, I, I need to do so much, right, just to get in right standing before God. Right? Maybe if he treats me as one of his slaves, I can be back with him. So first, he wanted possessions over the person. He realized that it didn't work out well. Then, he turned to the party. Then he turned to the party. And he, he didn't know there was going to be a party. And if you haven't read ahead, you don't know there's going to be a party either. It was a surprise party, right? So but he wants to go home. He practices his speech. In the same way that he turned his back on his father, he's turning his back on sin and running back home to the father. Right, he's repenting. He's turning away. So that's the, son, the son's rebellion. Now, I want us to notice the father's reception. How does dad respond? How does the father respond? Let's look at verse 20. He says, And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, he, he's rehearsed the speech, right? So he's good to go now. Now he's giving the speech that he rehearsed. He's saying, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And his dad his dad saw him coming a long way off. 
because dads know their kids. He saw him coming a long way off, right? And what does he do? He runs to him. He runs, he runs, he runs. He has no idea what his son's been doing. He has no idea who, who, who he's been hanging out with, what he's been up to, right? What, what might be going on in his life. Like, he has no idea, and it doesn't matter. He runs to his son because his son is home. That's the only thing that matters is that his son is home. And there he runs. He doesn't care what disease he may have. He doesn't care what criminal record he may have. He doesn't care if he's a baby daddy. He's heard rumors. He has no idea what his son's been up to. His son is home. That's all that matters. And his heart is filled with compassion, and he runs. Typically, when you see a grown man run, either he's committed a crime or somebody's trying to harm him, right? Like, like dude, we don't, we don't run. We don't. Like, I can't, we, we don't, we don't run, right? So, and he's wearing a robe, right? This is Jewish culture. He's wearing a robe. So he would hi- have to hike up his skirt like a little girl, like just to, just to get out there, right? But he doesn't care. He doesn't care how undignified he looks to run to his son who is home. That's the heart of the father, is running to the sons and children that return home. That is God, right? That is God. So dad sees a son, runs to him, filled with compassion, gives him a giant hug and kiss, He's so glad that he's home. See, the rebellious son thought the father was going to be mad at him, right? And some of us, we, we think that God is going to be mad at us, right? And for some of us, that has kept us from church for a long time. That's kept us from hanging out with Christians for a while. That's kept us from going to life group. That's even kept us from even reading our Bible or praying because we're so fearful that God has mad at us and upset with us. But what's the heart of the father? He runs, right? He runs. He runs to his kids when they're back home, right? You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to get your act together before you come home. Just come home. And the father is waiting there with open arms and even running to you and having compassion and giving you a hug and a kiss. That is our father. The father, notice this. He treated his youngest like a son, not like a slave. He treated his youngest like a son, not like a slave, right? Do you know the difference between a slave and a son? A slave has to constantly work and earn right standing in the family, right? These are, these are workers, right? These are workers in the family, right? So you have to work or you don't have right standing in the family, right? That's how that works. It is purely works-based, like an employee-employer relationship. But what's the relationship with a good father and his children, Right? For those that know anything about parents, does anything that a child does do anything from keeping them from being a child? No, right? There is nothing that a child can do that loses their place in the family. Nothing. Nothing at all. And that's the relationship that we have with our father is that we are children. We are heirs of his kingdom. We are children and we have a good father who wants to run to us and give us compassion, right? We are children, not slaves. And if you understand that, if you understand your identity as a child of God, that changes everything about your life. If you understand your identity as a child of God, that changes everything about your life. It changes how you view God. It changes how you view the world. It changes everything about your life. So, in this room, people at the table, you are children of God, period. Nothing else. You are children of God, and you have a good father who loves you. Okay. So also the father, he noticed this. He hosted the party, right? 
He hosted the party. Let's look at verse 22. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand. Put shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they begin to celebrate. Why did he give him shoes? (laughs) Because he was doing the walk of shame back home without shoes. Right? He's coming back home, had a rough night, had a rough few days, rough season. He's coming back home shoeless. Slaves did not wear shoes. If he were to treat him as a slave, there's no shoes that he would give him. Him giving him shoes was a sign, a symbol that you are my son. You will always be my son. You are forever my son, and I will always love you. He gave him shoes and threw him a party. He threw him a party. This is awesome. We're time to celebrate. Time to party. This is so good. Thy son is back home. It's time to party and celebrate. And everybody celebrated. Almost everybody celebrated. Let's keep keep reading. Uh, Verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. In verse 26, and he called to one of his servants and asked what those things meant. He's asking, am I hearing, am I hearing C-Swift? Like, are people flossing? Like, what's, what's going on here? Like, I don't, I don't, like, why are people dancing? Like, I don't know, I don't know what's going on, right? So I want us to notice, notice the older son's religion. Notice the older son's religion, all right? Uh, verse 27, and he said to him, so the, one of the servants has came, and he's telling the older brother what, what's going on. Verse 27, and he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you. I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. I don't understand the young goat thing. Different culture, different time. Cool. He wanted a young goat. Okay. So might celebrate. So here's, here's notice the, young, the older brother. He was religious. He thought he earned his place in the family. He thought he earned his place in the family, right? He thought it was what he did that gave him right standing in the family. He thought it was what he did and everything that he worked and him, his achievement and his performance is what kept him in right standing with the father. That's what he thought. That's what he thought. He thought that he deserved good things, right? But you can't, we, we can't pre- perform works and think that that's our identity, <laughs> See how it's backwards? It's not the works that we do that gives us our identity. It's who God is that gives us our identity, right? You have to understand that order. It is not performance that gives you identity. It is God's nature and his character and your identity as his child that gives you identity, right? This older brother, he thought he did all the things. I, I worked. I worked hard, God. I deserve. You didn't give me what I deserve. I never got a party. What the heck? I'm pissed. Like, God, like, what, what are you doing? Like, you know, he, he blew all your money, and you're throwing him a party? Like, what's, what's going on? Right? He says in verse 30, But when the son of yours came, who devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, the father did, Son, you were always with me. All that mine is yours. And it was fitting to celebrate and be glad. 
for your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Right? So I want us to notice this too. Along with earning the older brother, earning the place in the family, he stayed away from the party. Notice how the religious older brother who thought it was about works and about what he did, all about rules and regulations, he stayed away from the celebration. He stayed away from the party. He didn't, he didn't want to celebrate, right? He was saying, hey, this isn't, this isn't how we've done things as a family. Like, the, the younger brother has been away for a long time now. Like, this is, this is, this is normal, right? This is, we have our normal rhythm now. We have what we normally do, right? Like, I don't, I don't want to celebrate people coming home. I want, things to stay the way, I want things to stay the way they are. Like, where was my party, right? I, I, I like my spot on the couch. I don't want to make room on the couch. I like my spot right? They don't deserve my spot. I earned my spot. I come every week to life group. I earn my spot. They don't deserve my spot, right? Like, I, didn't, I don't want to save a seat at the table. I, I kind of like how we used to do things like a few months ago. Like, I don't, I don't like all, the, all these changes that we're making, right? I, I don't like it. it. It's changing the normal rhythm. You need to listen to me because I've been here for a long time. So, so listen to me because I've, I've been doing all the rules. So we're going to do things the way that I think we should be doing things. And I deserve that we do things in a way that is honoring to me, right? Okay, I'll let some of that sit for a little while. Cool. <laughs> Guys, all of us lean rebellious or religious, all of us, lean, rebellious, or religious, right? Rebellion. Rebellion says, I want to do all of the things. Let me see what I can get away with. The things of this world are so pleasurable. I want to experience the world. Home was boring. Let me get my money. Give me my money so I can go experience the world, right? That's rebellion. Always progress. Always pushing the envelope, all right? Always wanting to rebel against what you know to be good, right? Rebellion. And religion says, I'm going to judge all the, re- all the rebels. <laughs> I'm going to judge them, right? They wasted it. They wasted their life, right? Now the, the relationship with God, my relationship with the Father, it's all about me now. I, I've done all the things. They don't deserve to have a relationship with God because I've kept the rules. I've done all of the things that I was supposed to do, right? And I don't want to celebrate when the rebellious comes home. I don't want to celebrate repentance. I'm not going to make room on the couch. I don't want us to keep changing things, Right? religious. All of us. All of us lean rebellious or religious, right? We all do. We all do. So here's the thing. Here's the thing about rebellious and religious, right? So application number one, don't miss the party. (laughs) Don't miss the party, right? So to the rebellious younger brother, come home. Come home. We have a party that's waiting for you to celebrate you. Celebrate Jesus. Celebrate your relationship with the Father. Come home, right? You have a Father who's waiting for you with open arms. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to clean yourself up. There's nothing that you have to do, right? God's not mad at you. Come home. God is waiting for you with open, open arms, right? Come home. And to the, uh, to the religious older brother, come inside. Come inside. There's a party that's going on, right? We love, we love that the younger brother's back. We love that he's repented, and we want to celebrate. But we don't, like, honestly, the thing that we're celebrating, we're not just celebrating him. 
we're celebrating Jesus, right? Because as the rebellious repent and come back home, Jesus gets more glorified, right? And more people are worshiping Jesus. And that's ultimately what we're celebrating. We're celebrating Jesus, right? So we celebrate when people come home because we get to party. And we get to party like Jesus parties, celebrating the repentance of sinners, right? It's the kindness of God that leads people to repentance, right? So to the rebellious younger brother, come home. And so the religious older brother, come inside. So the rebellious younger brother, come home. And so the religious older brother, come inside. So guys, I talked about what we're doing here, right? That we're talking about celebration, right? And if you were here last week, this gathering that we have, the table, this is our celebration, right? This is where we get to celebrate Jesus and get to celebrate his goodness and his greatness and what he's done in our lives, right? This is, where, this is the reason that we're celebrating and we're going to party, right? And after this, like we actually have an after party, right? Where we have cake and punch. Like we're going to party for a little bit, like after this, because we want to practice the celebration, celebrating Jesus, right? And we want to party. So the Tuesday gathering is where we get to come together to celebrate Jesus and that's where we get to celebrate the prodigal and the rebellious coming home. So the heart behind the table, the heart of what we do here, is we want to treat every single person that comes through these doors like they are the prodigal coming home. Whether you've been here for two weeks, whether you've been here for one week, whether you've been here for two years, right, unless we've had a one-on-one with you, we have no idea what your last week was like. And our heart and our desire is that we treat all of us like we are the prodigal coming home. So we want to be the best hosts. We want to be the best party planners. We want to throw the most epic, amazing parties, right? Where we get to celebrate, right, with the prodigal coming home, right? And celebrate with the religious coming inside, right? And we just get to celebrate Jesus together. And here's the second application point. If that's something that you want to be a part of, number two, consider being a party host consider being a host at the table, right? If this is something that is resonating with you, if you want to throw epic parties, if you want to have epic Jesus celebrations, if you want to throw these epic after parties, consider being a host. Consider joining us as we can host people as they come home and we can love everyone the way that the Father loves both the prodigal and the religious, the way that the Father loves the rebellious and religious, right? So if you're in this room and you want to be an epic party planner, consider being a host. And if that's something that you want to do, then I would, uh, here's a link where you can fill out an application, right? And it's on the, on the screens there and it should be on your handout, right? So if that's something that you like, just fill out an application. Let's have a conversation. Cool. Cool. So what, what would Orlando look like if we could just party like Jesus? What would Orlando look like if young adults all around, all around Orlando knew that whenever they came, that they were loved the way that the father loves the prodigal? What if they knew that every Tuesday night, it was this epic party where we just get to hang out and celebrate Jesus? Do you think that might be attractive to some prodigals? Do you think that might be attractive to some um, the religious that also repent, right? What if the table was this epic party party where you get to celebrate Jesus? What impact would that have, right? Have you gone to house parties before? You want to invite your friends? That sounds attractive, right? There's a lot of us that are new in town, right? We want to party. We want to have a good time. So what if we're able to use that to celebrate Jesus together? How would that impact Orlando? How would that impact the one 
million young adults, right? 18 to 35, the 1 million young adults that we have in our city that are prodigals, that are far away, that right now are experiencing a season of pleasure. And we know that they're about to bottom out pretty fast. And instead of judging them and condemning them, we wanna offer hope in Jesus. We wanna celebrate Jesus with them and offer them what Jesus can do in their life, right? How awesome would it be if we had so many stories that a year from now, somebody says, like, yeah, like a year ago, like I was like strung out on cocaine on Church Street and I'm here and Jesus changed my life. Like, how cool would that be? They're pretty epic. What if somebody was like, man, a year ago, like I was, I was so bitter. I was so, my heart was so hard and I was just so angry with everyone around me and Jesus changed my life and now I have compassion. How awesome would that be? And if we just had stories after stories after stories of miraculous life transformation because of Jesus Christ. That would be so cool. So we're, gonna, we're wrapping up here. So at this time, we're gonna have a time of response. And we're responding to what Jesus has done in our life. So maybe you identify with the rebellious. Maybe you identify with the religious. Either way, the Father is inviting you to this party. Coming home and come inside, right? Because only made possible because of Jesus and his work on the cross, right? Because it's Jesus that paid the punishment for the sin that we deserve because of our religion and the sin that we deserve because of our rebellion. Jesus paid the cost. He took it for you. And our aim is to be like Jesus and follow Jesus. And that gives us a relationship with the Father to celebrate his goodness. So at this time, I'm gonna ask the, the prayer team to come up and, and let me pray for us. And we're gonna sing as a time of response um, and, and stand um, as a normal posture of worship. So um, let me pray for us. God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your steadfast love, God. I thank you, God, that we are all prodigals, God. Even the most religious of us are prodigals and we could come home, right? All of us have sinned in our lives. None of us have kept all the rules. God, it is you, God, that gives us a relationship with you, God. You rescue us. You run to us with compassion, with mercy, and with grace, and we love you. So I pray for all of us in this room, God, that you might stir hearts and you might invite people into this epic party that you're throwing. In Jesus' name, amen. So stand with us and we'll sing. 